0: Thank you Bill and all the musicians, appreciate the, But well, that makes it a little fun to lead music doesn't it? Yes. Well I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. Most of you have heard my ongoing uh, complaints about having to get bifocals. I finally broke down this last week and got them. Actually, this was my second pair, because the first pair was faulty, I'm sure. And I shared on Thursday night that, uh, that I had got them, and I was having a little trouble with them, but I'm going to do the best I can this morning. Uh, I got no sympathy from Dennis. He just said, welcome to the real world. <laughs> but, you know, I want to just show you that these bifocals demonstrate part of my character, because I, he told me five years ago I needed them. He, was, he didn't know what he was talking about. I could make it... <laughs> It could be uh, stubbornness. Um, So, but I want to open our message this morning with reading Deuteronomy chapter six, as we've come to the conclusion of my messages on uh, principles, foundational principles of the church. And I want to read verses one through nine this morning of Deuteronomy chapter six. These are the commandments, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let's pray. Our dear Lord, this morning, as we have spent time in worship this morning, as we've sang praises to you, Lord, and that we can cast all our cares upon you. And Lord, we just ask now, as we open your word, that your spirit would speak to us this morning, that we would be encouraged by your word that we would allow your word to direct our lives and how we are to act as a church and a body of believers. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we've gone through, <coughs> what I and I would not say this is all inclusive, the, but I would say these are very key principles or foundational principles of what our church, I would hope our church would stand for, that first of all, that Jesus Christ would be the head of the church That it wouldn't be a man is what so often the temptation is that people want to look to a man to be the head of the church. But it needs to be Jesus Christ himself. That's what the scripture teaches is that Jesus is the head of the church and that the church should be directed by Jesus Christ as the head. Second of all, that we would be a church that would be founded in the word of God. That's actually why we named our church the Berean Christian Fellowship. That as Bereans they were commended that they searched the scriptures to see what Paul the apostle paul to see that he what he was teaching them was actually true and that it went with the scriptures that it didn't counteract it wasn't counter to the scripture itself and we want to be a church that is directed by the word of god and you'll hear me say many many times well what does the word of god say when people come to me with questions i always want to say the answer is what does the word of god say because you see if we come to men for what their opinions are that's all they are is opinions but we want something that's sound and that is the Word of God unfortunately today we live in a world that's strayed from the Word of God and people are tossed about Paul warned if you weren't founded in the Word of God you'd be tossed about and that's unfortunately the world we live in today and then we looked at the principle of leadership what the requirements were for godly leadership certainly a challenge for myself and the deacons of what God requires of leadership and we looked at the principle of the body, that it's not to be a function of one or two or three people, but the body is to come together, and you each are gifted by the Holy Spirit, perform different functions within the body, and when you form those functions as you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit, the body is strengthened. And when you do not, when you sit it out, the body is weak and ineffective because you are meant to play a part. It's A, a church is a team game. There's no I in church. It's a team game. It's an effort that's to be put forth by all. And I believe that's from the youngest up to the oldest. If you're a believer, you know, there's a temptation to say, well, I'm a child. Maybe I don't have that big of a role. I can say if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you're gifted to serve in some way within the church. You might say, well, I'm retired. I'm old. Well, guess what? You still have a role. If you're here, and I've told many people, as they've gotten older, if you're still here, God has a purpose for you. You know that? If you're still here, God has a purpose because God holds your life in his very hands. And he will take you when your purpose is completed. Then I looked at the aspect that we must be a church that looks for the return of Jesus Christ. We spoke about that, saying about that this morning. We must look, I appreciate David's words that he brought to us this morning, we must never take our eyes off of eternity. Because it's that eye on eternity that keeps us living for Christ today. That knowledge that John tells us in John chapters two and 3, 1 John chapters 2 and 3, that is that when we're looking for that glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, that we will purify ourselves and we will live holy lives. Because if you understand that at any moment you can be in the presence of your Lord and Savior, it drives you forward. It encourages you. And we want to be like the early church that just... Even when Paul and Peter were still there preaching, they were preaching that Jesus Christ could return at any time, and we want to be that kind of church that's excited about that. We want to, and then I looked at the aspect of finances within the church, and we want to be a church that reflects biblical and godly principles, both within the church and within our lives, related to finances. And lastly, last week, we looked at the functions of the church, how that the early church Really, there was four functions that, with, as when they came together, there was four things that they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we, of course, in our services and times together, we devote ourselves to the teaching out of the word. They devoted themselves to fellowship, and we're bringing Christian fellowship. There's a reason why the word fellowship was in our name because we come together and we fellowship in the name of Jesus Christ, and we want to promote fellowship. And we, and you will see much of our activity revolves around fellowship, because we want to both fellowship with the Lord, but we need to fellowship with one another, that we encourage one another in that fellowship. Then they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And of course, most times when we come together on Sunday morning, we do break bread. We want to acknowledge our communion with Christ and communion with one another. And lastly, we want to be devoted to prayer. And so we end each of our services in a time of prayer, as a time for the body to come together to both praise the Lord for his blessings, and to pray for the needs, the genuine needs that are there, and to bring those things before the Lord and to acknowledge his, um, his caring, his love, and his desire for what's good for us. This morning, I want to look at my last topic, which is really a great topic on my heart within the church. It's also a topic of grief, I think, within the church today, and a, a topic of loss, and that is the topic of raising up the next generation. I think one of the fundamental principles or foundational principles of the church must be the raising up of, a next, of the next generation, a godly generation. God speaks in Malachi chapter 2 about what's his desire of marriage. He says, my desire is godly offspring. God desires godly offspring, godly children that will come to be the next generation and this is my final principle, is that we as a church would have a goal to raise up the next generation, a godly generation that desires to serve the Lord and to carry on the work until he comes. And so <clears throat> we want that to be an emphasis within our church. One of the only books I actually have read in the last year and a half is a book about, that was written by Ken Ham. That was a study on why, and the book was entitled Already Gone. Some of you have heard me refer to this book. And it was a study of why are young people leaving the church? You know, about two-thirds of the the young people growing up in the evangelical church, by the time they're in their 20s, no longer attend church and have nothing to do with it. Many of them completely have turned their back on the church and want have nothing to do with it. That's a tragedy, a tragedy that we have. You know, David spoke about wanting to witness to our neighbors that are lost, and I'm fully fully agree with him but it's an absolute tragedy that we have the children in the church we have them and we lose them that should never happen and yet it happens more often than not and so I wish to spend some time this morning on that matter I wish that none of the children within our church would be lost none of the children here would grow up and turn their back on Christ that's a tragedy of tragedies and so let us focus on this this morning. As, as I read this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, of course, most of you know that Deuteronomy is Moses' final message to the people of Israel. They've left Egypt. In context of that, like us, they left the world. They were supposed to have left behind the idolatry and the worldly ways of the Egyptians, and they had. As of course, as we're Christians, we get called out of the world. We're supposed to put away the things of the world. And so they've, the context of this is they've been called out of Egypt. They've been called to be a people, a holy people unto God. And God had had that people wander in the desert for 40 years. Not because God was a cruel God, but because God had to purify those people. He wanted a holy, pure people for himself. The first generation that came out of Egypt still kept wanting to go back to Egypt. They didn't really want God's ways. And God wants us to purify our hearts, to desire the things of God, that our things would be on fire for the things of God. That would be that burning passion. And so we need to be uh, purified for Christ. And they were preparing to take the land. They were here, they're on the si- this side of the Jordan, and they're ready to go into the promised land that they have waited for a generation and God is about to establish a new nation. And in the midst of establishing a new nation, God wants to remind them what his purposes are. And one of his primary purposes are is to tell them to raise up a godly generation to follow after them. These are Moses' final instructions. I want to fact and give you some of the themes related to this. If you turn back to chapter 4, verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 9. <coughs> Moses' warnings that God has given him. He says in verse 9 of chapter 4, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your hearts as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your children, their children, after them. He's saying, I don't want you to forget the things I've taught you. One of the things that God had said is, I'm going to give you the Passover to celebrate and I want this to be an everlasting symbol between you and me. This is something, why did God want that? He wanted them to not forget what he had done. And he says to them, I don't want you to forget the things that you've seen, the things that I've done, and I want you to tell them to your children and to your children's children so that they remember them. And even to this very day, the Jews remember these things. They might not believe in God, but it's interesting. They remember the things that God said, I want you to remember. If you turn to um, chapter 11, verse 16 through 21, Similar theme, theme here. Chapter 11, <laughs> verse 16 through 21, he says, Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will, he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain on the, and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. So he warns them to be careful. Verse 18 Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be in the land may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your forefathers as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. So that's the theme that Moses is giving. Now turn back to chapter 6 and let's go through a few of these verses. Chapter 6 is verses 1 and 2. First of all Moses says to the people he says these are the commands decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. First of all, he says, I'm giving you the commands, the decrees, the laws, and I want to teach you. God is telling me to teach these things to you so that you will observe them, that you will so, so you will obey them, so that what? That it will it'll go well with you. And he says, these, these are to be applied to you and to your children and to their children's children, and of course, by implication, the generations that are to follow. And if that you will apply these things, that it will go well, for, well with you. Turn to Psalm 103. This is one of God's themes throughout Scripture. 103, verses 17 and 18. You know that God intended for his commands, his decrees, his laws to be passed from one generation to the next. Verse 17 of Psalm 103 says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember remember to obey his precepts. And then just a New Testament example, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Example of there. God's righteousness is to be passed on to your children and your children's children. Second Timothy chapter one. Verse five. Paul is speaking or writing to Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy, and he says in verse five, he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois. And in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. Of course, one of the great first pastors, teachers within the church was Timothy. And Paul says that that faith was first seen in your grandmother. And then it was seen in your mother, and now I am persuaded that it is also in you. That this faith is passed on from generation to generation. I can tell you for myself, it is such a blessing to look back, I've shared with you, I can trace back five generations in my family back of those that believed before me. And it's exciting. it was exciting for me as a young boy, my grandma sharing her testimony with me of how when she was a young girl, the most exciting thing for her when she first accepted Christ was to run and tell her grandmother that she had accepted Christ because she knew her grandmother had been praying praying for her her salvation my grandmother was a very godly influence in my life what a blessing Now, whether or not you're a first generation believer or you're a five generation believer you can begin the process of passing that on to the next generation but it doesn't happen by accident it happens with purpose there has to be a purpose to it turn back to Deuteronomy why does God desire this he desires this because he desires it to go well. See, God knows his ways are better than our ways, that his ways are perfect. And he knows when we stray from his ways that things will not go well for us. God loves us and he desires that it will go well with us. <laughs> the primary law is this in verses 5 and 6, and this really and much sums up how our relationship with, should be with God. In verse 5, Moses says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, when Jesus is asked in the New Testament, "What's the greatest commandment?" This is exactly what Jesus says: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and all your strength. You know, you know what got, what isn't said here? Keep the Ten Commandments to get to heaven. That even here in Deuteronomy. When they've already been given the Ten Commandments, the first thing they've been told, is to lo- the overriding thing, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Let me tell you, that's all-encompassing. Everything about you should be about loving the Lord. First and foremost today, that should be what your life is about, loving God. Everything, All efforts that you put forth. I want to warn you to be careful of legalism. Man's temptation is to make rules and laws, and if we follow these things, that somehow we'll make ourselves right before God, but it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of that loving God. When we love God, we desire to please God. These commands are, not, are to be on our hearts, and I want to say to you as parents and as grandparents, first of all this, you cannot teach what you're not living They all do as I say, not as as I do. Guess what? Kids will be the first ones to tell you, that doesn't cut it. That doesn't cut it. You cannot teach what you're not living. Second of all this is that children, of course, in Scripture are a test for church leadership. We see that, and I believe that is because children are a window into your home. You see, we can come and we can pretend to be one thing or another, but our kids reveal what's going on in the home. And it's interesting that that God sets that forth as a requirement. But I want to tell you, we need to teach what we're living. We need to live what we're teaching. Because you know what, parents? You can't fool your kids. You cannot fool them. Because when they see you day in and day out, and you say this, but you're doing this, what that creates is that creates a situation where, they, where they're going to begin to mock what you're saying. Because it, if it doesn't matter enough to you to live it, it won't matter to them either. So I want to encourage you this morning that these commands must be on your hearts first before that you can teach them to your kids. Second of all this, in verses 7 through 9, Moses goes on and he says to him, he says, and press them on your children. See, these commands weren't just for the adults. They're for the kids and the kids after them also. One of the things that you see within our church is that we stay together as families, by and large. Is that there's an attitude in some churches that, well, the Bible stuff, that's for the grown-ups. And we can have these stories over here for the kids. No, that all of what's in the scripture is for the, everyone, and what Moses says impress them upon your children, to teach them diligently, to literally to sharpen or to pierce, or I like this to mark them. You're to mark these commandments upon your children's hearts. I think of uh, <clears throat> you know have you've seen the bookmarks where you can take and put the pages between there, and you squeeze the handle, and it leaves a permanent mark of a symbol or a seal within a book or a piece of paper. And that's what I think that picture of, that impressing, impressing those commandments so that they're impressed upon your children's hearts, so that there's a permanent mark there. And then he goes on and he says you're supposed to talk about them. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Moses is saying that wherever you are, wherever you are, if you're at home, if you're away from home, if you're... Laying down in the evening, if you're getting up in the morning, talk about the things of the Lord. Talk about the things. Talk about these things. Talk about them like they're natural things that are part of your life. Oftentimes I think people have trouble with that. You know, well, we talk about church things when we're in church. And when we're not in church, we don't talk about church things. But it should just be so comfortable for us as families to talk about the things of the way of the Lord. We should talk about these things wherever we are all day long. It should be all encompassing of our lives. And then he goes on, he says he says in verse 8, he says, tie them on, as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now the Jews literally took this, they took this literally, 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 how about that? They literally tied made little boxes that they would tie onto their wrists or onto their foreheads, and they would write, make tiny scrolls with the, the commandments of God, and they would put those scrolls in there. And, and I don't think that's ex- at all what God was, wanted them to do. I think Moses is, liter- is just te- speaking figuratively here. The commandments, the words of God, should be close at hand. They should be right at your hand. They should be right on your mind. When he says that they should be written on your door frames or written on the posts, the gate posts. They should be that close at hand. It should be so surrounding you at all times. They should be in plain sight. Not trying to impress somebody that, oh, I got this thing tied onto my wrist. And you still see today Orthodox Jews. They walk around with these little boxes strapped to the top of their head. What good does that do you? You can't read it. We don't need that. But we should have the word of God encompassing us totally. As parents, though, Paul gives us some warnings. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul gives us some warnings related to our children. Hmm, Excuse me, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Those glasses again. The Ephesians this is a particular warning to fathers he says fathers do not exasperate your children instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord I think what Paul is saying there is do not provoke or frustrate your children but to train them up and to bring instruction the one thing that I think perhaps could bring Frustration for a father is if he over-disciplines, he's inconsistent. These things can cause that. Paul says it another way if you just turn over a couple pages to Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. He says there, fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. I think it's very important for us as parents to be consistent don't be jumping from thing to thing to thing so your kids are confused as to what the standards are or what you're trying to achieve but to be consistent in your parenting style to meet not be jumping from fad to fad or thing to thing don't change the rules on them day in and day out well there's nothing worse than having the rules changed continually I think that can cause embitterness or exacerbation. I would say this as parents, be reasonable. It's okay to be reasonable. You don't have to be, as a father, for example, authoritarian, because I said so. But we can be reasonable in our approach with our children. We don't have to be too harsh. I mean, I think some men particularly have struggled with that, to think that, well, they have to have this strong authoritarian Because I'm the father. And there is a proper authority there as the father. But we can still be reasonable and not be so harsh that we're not understanding of the child's concerns or what they're going through. We must discipline appropriately. See, when we're inconsistent, we confuse. When we're unreasonable, we cause hurt. We don't want to do that, we don't want to be overly harsh. I think there's obviously oftentimes we may fall into the temptation of that because we can become angry, we can become frustrated with the situation, and we can overreact. We need to make sure, though, we don't take out the bad day at the office on the family at home because they didn't cause the bad day at the office. And be careful about those things. Now, at the same time, having said that, We are told to also, though, not withhold discipline. I just want to read a few passages out of Proverbs chapter, starting in Proverbs 13. The discipline is important, but it must be balanced in its approach. I'll just read a few passages that Solomon shared here, Proverbs 13, verse 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Turning over to chapter 22. Verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 23. Verses 12. Through 14. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. So, obviously, Scripture encourages us to discipline. In fact, in our own relationship, I think in many ways, That our relationship with our children as fathers should be similar to our relationship that Jesus Christ, or our Heavenly Father, has with us. I mean, the New Testament tells us that God disciplines those He loves. But, you know, God doesn't just wipe us out. He shows mercy. He shows compassion. He remembers that we're dust. And we need to have that kind of a balance with our children to discipline when they're wrong, When they go astray, when they show foolishness, we need to put them back on the right path, bring them right back to the right path. We need to not ignore the foolishness because I'll tell you this, once a young person starts down that path of foolishness, it's real tempting to keep going down that path. It's up to the parent to direct and guide them back, and sometimes that requires discipline. But we cannot become lazy in that. At the same time, we don't want to be so harsh that we discourage and so there's a balance we need to be prayerful about that we need to be careful not to discipline in anger but in love and the world perhaps doesn't understand that but I think biblically speaking we can discipline in love because we desire what's best for the child and to not discipline out of anger I want to conclude this message with some thoughts for you one is this the home is the primary training ground for children the home the home is the place that God has created, designed the family to train children. As I, as I quoted before out of Malachi chapter 2, God says his desire of marriage is that the marriage will provide godly offspring and that God finds that to be a, the goal of marriage. So the home is the primary training ground for children. Second of all this is the church itself is only an extension of the family not a substitute for the family. The attitude or the thought that, well, I'll bring my kids to church so that they'll, learn, they'll get trained about God there, that will fail. That will absolutely fail. If you're not teaching your children about the things of God in the home, the church, by and large, cannot replace you. You cannot take a few hours a week and replace everything else that happens in the week and think that somehow, when I drop my kids off for Sunday school class, that that will fix them. It won't. It'll fail. It might make you feel good about yourself. It might think you're doing your job. But unfortunately or fortunately, God gave the responsibility to parents. And you can't shirk it. Because if you try to shirk it, it'll fail. You must take on that responsibility. But we, as a church, we must be an extension of the family, and there's nothing wrong with the church helping, accentuating, and helping strengthen the family. And so... As many of the kids here know, I'm not afraid to step in and exercise a little direction when it needs to be given. Because, and I, and I would say to you as, as adults here, uh, you have permission to do so, and if my kids need, and I'm not there, they need to be dealt with, go ahead. That's what wise adults, godly adults are supposed to do. Or to bring them to the parent and say, this is going on, you need to deal with this. That's okay. The church should help, support, and build up the family. One of the, this is another comment I have about our church that I really, really value, is the age diversity of our church. We don't focus on just trying to acquire young people to our church or focus on just trying to acquire old people. Do you know what? That faith is multigenerational. And there's a lot of blessings. Scripture actually honors older people. The world says, well, we don't have time for you. Oh, but throw your offering in the offering plate. Because you're the one supporting the church, but don't tell us what to do. But I appreciate the age diversity, and that has value. I want my children to grow up around older Christians because I want them to grow up in wisdom and faith and to see um, and benefit from life's experiences that other people can share. Most of our church functions, you'll see, are family centered. We don't start dividing up and sending you off in different groups and splitting up the family. Your children will learn to be adults by observing adults. I want the children in this church to grow up learning how to worship by watching adults worship. And I want them to learn about how to behave as Christians within the church and the body of Christ by observing adults and how they function. Training in godliness is the primary function of the home. Nothing else should get in the way of this. Even though I must say, unfortunately, there are many distractions in life. One note is there's a that I have experienced is grief of parents. You might think, well, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. But I can tell you, there's great grief. Christian parents whose children have left the home, and then they've left and walked away from the church. And you can't get that back. Life goes by so fast. It just runs away so quickly. Now, I don't want to leave you on, I just want to say that because I want to tell you how important it is. Because you get this one opportunity, this one shot of raising your children in the Lord. But I also want to say not to lose hope. God says to bring our groanings to him in prayer. We can lift up our children in prayer, and I want to also say this, is that many of you are actually at the point right now where your grandparents Grandparents have a unique position in Scripture to have a very godly influence on grandchildren. What grandchild doesn't love grandma and grandpa? And they want a relationship with grandma and grandpa. It's really sad within our culture that so many grandparents have taken the position of, "Well, I'm retired and I'm getting out of here." I'm not picking on you, Bill. <laughs> you do come back. <laughs> Is grandparents desire a relationship with your grandchildren even if your children have for the time being turned their back on the lord there's an opportunity for you to speak to your grandchildren about the lord and how that you love the lord and that means that can mean the world of a difference and i want to encourage you in that because that meant so much to me that my grandmother was a godly woman and when she spoke to me about the things of God, it meant a lot to me, and it had a major influence in my life. And don't give up on the opportunities that you have when you're taking that grandchild to the ball game, Talk to him about the things of the Lord. Take those opportunities and show your love to them, and you can still have an impact in your family. Well, let's prepare for communion.